Uh, if you are visiting today, we're glad that you are with us. We are studying a series that uh, will last for about eight weeks on what the Bible calls spiritual warfare. I believe that this is a topic that is either uh, completely denied and not talked about, these realities, or it's a subject that is completely misunderstood. And so that's why I want us to look at it over the summer vacation or the summer holidays. Not, not my vacation, but... Now, I think as we look at our text, we would all admit, whether you're Christian or not a Christian, that we live in a world that is uh, difficult sometimes. It's a very fallen world. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. And, and we're taught from our youth to be careful, right? You're always warning your kids, you need to be careful, you need to be aware of what's around you. I remember my father, uh, he, we could not go out the door without him and his uh, good southern accent saying, son, be careful. And of course, as I've gotten older, and I've had my own children, realize how right my dad really was. But one thing that he did not talk to me about was a real danger that we never talk about. He didn't talk to me about the things that we do not see. Powers and principalities. Hamlet told Horatio, there are more things in heaven and earth than you have dreamt in your philosophy. And so it's important for us to address this subject in the book of Ephesians. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. It's the inerrant Word of God. It is God's Word, and God speaks to us through the prophets and the apostles. So turn with me to Ephesians 6. It's here in our text, in our bulletin. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the, power, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we have read your word and your word teaches us that we do not fight against flesh and blood alone. It's not just our own flesh or people that might oppose us in our families or, or uh, in our workplace. But behind this 
struggle that we have, according to your word, is evil. And that evil is defined in a person, the devil, Satan, and his minions. And so, Lord, we ask that we might see Jesus Christ highly lifted up. As he himself said, I saw Satan falling from the sky. Thank you that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so help us rightly divide the word of truth this morning. Father, I pray for those who are deceived this morning. That you would cause them to understand who you are. And the powers that work to keep them from understanding the gospel. And Father, for my dear brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with fear and doubt and envy and perhaps anger or even bitterness and hatred. Father, that you would cause them to see Jesus Christ today and to know that these are often thoughts that come not often from within but from without. And so we pray that you would bless all your people today, that we might grow in grace and a knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we might have that energy that comes from believing your promises and the truth of your word. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. I have been doing a lot of weddings. Uh, this spring, I think uh, I've done about six or seven in the last uh, two, or, two or three months. In fact, I did one yesterday. We celebrated the, uh, the marriage of David McFall and Jennifer Allen. And uh, so as I've been doing a lot of weddings, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I think about a lot of this. This really helps me in my own marriage, right, because I have to talk about it all the time. Uh, but, but one of the things, I, I, as I was thinking about this text, I, I, I kind of started thinking 34 years ago, I was on my honeymoon, and then I started thinking about a particular day on my honeymoon that I think fits what our text is saying. We had the privilege of going to St. Croix, uh, down to the Virgin Islands. And uh, we'd been there three or four days, and we, uh, third or fourth day, we rented some motorcycles and decided that we wanted to tour the island. So we got up at 7, took off, we're gone all day. Matter of fact, we were out there for so long, the last part of the trip, we were going down the mountain, and Mary Beth's hands were so tired, I'd have to ride the bike down, ride my bike down, go back and... But uh, anyhow, that's besides the point, but I remember that. It just came to me. (laughs) And so we we finally got back to the, the, the resort that we were staying, about 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, and, and we had met a number of people who had actually lived in that area and would dine at the resort, you know, several older people who, we were the young married couple, and we enjoyed our time with them together, and they were wondering where we were, and we told them, well, we've been touring the island on the motorcycles. And they were aghast. And they said, did you not know of all the crime that has been taking place the last two months here in St. Croix? I said, what crime? They said, well, for instance, two or three days ago, there were four people that were shot on the ninth hole of the golf course. And, uh, and so they were just thankful that we were back and we were safe. Well, here's the point. We were in paradise and had no idea of the dangers that were really lurking out there. It's just very fortunate that we did not run into those dangers. I think this is what Paul is trying to get at. 
I think we live life, and because we've grown up in a, in a secular world, we've grown up with scientific uh, um, ways of thinking, that we live in a closed system, that all, often we, we, we don't understand the metaphysical world that's out there, and we think things that happen are by coincidence, or this happens or that happens. Rather than understanding that there are powers and principalities of the air according to what the scriptures tell us, according to our uh, text, that seek our demise. Paul is telling us, of course, there's a lot of dangers that are in the world that we face all the time. We buy insurance and we educate our children uh, so they can compete in the world. We lock our doors at night, but Paul is telling us that sometimes there is an evil and there is the evil day that we read about in our Old Testament lesson. That's why we looked at it. That Satan asked for Job. Now, I believe this. I believe that there, particularly for you as believers, are days of evil. Those days that come and everything seems to be happening in your life. In fact, I would suggest this, that the more, and we'll see this in our text, the more you desire to submit your life to the reign and rule of Christ, the more you and your wife want to bring the kingdom of God and your, your life is not about yourselves, then the more I think that conflict comes and the realities of the warfare that is there. And so Paul says here at the end of Ephesians, after he talks about what, what it's like in the Christian community, he says, finally... Be aware of this, that you must be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, putting on the whole armor of God. For your fight is not just against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the air. Might I suggest to you right now, if you're beginning to kind of wave out on me and you're getting ready to go to sleep, that might be a good example of the fact that you're deceived. In fact, the word devil in the Greek is the word we get diabolical from, which means deceived, scheming to keep you asleep. So what will we do in that day? Well, Paul tells us that we're to put on the whole armor of God. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at all the pieces of the armor over the next five or six weeks. Just going to spend a little bit of time on, on uh, the, the, the belt of truth. But there's three things I want to look at. And we kind of looked at it last week, so I don't spend a lot of time here. But here's the three things. Number one, you're in a fight, according to our text. Secondly, uh, we must prepare ourselves for this as a lifetime of conflict. It's <laughs> just not like it goes away. At least that's been my observation. And then finally, what we'll see is that the foundation of the weapons of war that God has given us, they're His weapons. The armor of God is the belt of truth. And we're going to look at that toward the end, and then we'll pick up on it next week. So here's the first thing to see is this, is that we are in a fight. Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, and we're to put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle. And he gives this idea of personal, intimate fight that's there. I think that's why he uses that language. And so there is a fight. Remember last week, 
when we started addressing this issue of evil, and I want to, I want to address you if you if you're, don't know if you believe in a devil. You don't know if you believe in such thing as demons. I would encourage you to read Screw Take Letters by C.S. Lewis. I think he had a good angle on it. But if you struggle with this, I think that what we said last week is that reason tells you that there's intelligence behind the evil. That evil doesn't come from rocks. It doesn't come from trees. It doesn't come uh, from fence posts. It's not something that developed in the evolutionary process of man. In fact, evolution and the secular world cannot explain the metaphysics in it of evil because it stays away from what you cannot measure, what you cannot see. But we know it when we see it in someone or around us. Or maybe even sometimes our own evil intentions of our heart. And so last week we looked at, I think, uh, the example I gave were, were people who scheme older people. They take all their money. They've worked for 60 years and they have all this money and somebody comes and schemes them. And they take off and they go to St. Croix and ride motorcycles around the island. And they enjoy life. See, you ever had your bicycle stolen? Somehow, you know, wait a minute, you stole my bicycle. That's evil. It's wrong. And so to me, if you are a person who has a hard time believing in intelligent evil, which the Bible calls the devil, then you have a lot of explaining to do. Matter of fact, you ought to ask your spouse sometimes, do you believe in the devil? And, and she, he or she might go, oh yeah. <laughs> Married to him. But then remember Jesus, we saw, believed in the devil. He had to do war with the devil, right? He, is a, he, he has come to deliver us from the devil and the deception that is there. And so we read, as soon as he begins his ministry, after 30 years of preparation, the first place he goes is in the wilderness. He's, the, he's a greater than Moses to deliver his people from a much greater enemy than Pharaoh in Egypt. But from the devil and sin and death. And there the devil is, right? You think Jesus believed in the devil? We learn from Peter about the devil. In 1 Peter 5, I think we looked last week, that Satan is a roaring lion seeking to devour you. And Peter learned about Satan earlier in the Gospels. Remember when, right before Peter denied the Lord Jesus, when he said, hey, listen, these other guys, they might deny you, not me. And Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Now, let's keep this in balance here. And the balance is this. This is why Paul begins this whole section by saying that you are to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He begins with the fact that you cannot deal with this evil. But God has already conquered this evil one. Through the person and work of Christ, the devil, who's come and he's lived and he's died and he's been raised. And through your union with Christ, in Christ, you're free. Last week we said that we often think of Jesus just forgiving you of your sin. And so you just go about yourself, say, well, I'm forgiven, I'm going to try to live a decent life. 
No, Jesus has done so much more than deliver you from your sin. He has delivered you from evil. The bondage of Satan. He has set you free. Now, one of the things we talk about here at Redeemer a great deal, it's one of our, uh, kind of our theme statement, is that you're not struggling to be free, you're free to struggle. You're not struggling to be free, you're free to struggle. Struggling to be free is what you do if you don't know Jesus. You're trying to be a good Methodist or a good Presbyterian or a, or a good Catholic. Versus the freedom that Christ has accomplished 2,000 years ago. And if you are in Christ today, He has set you free. But nonetheless, you still struggle. But you're free to struggle. And therefore, that means that we are still in the conflict. And so, the question ends up being, why is this so? I remember when I was a new Christian, I thought to myself... After, uh, you know, two years, I'd, I'd been a Christian. I was converted at 17, and I really did want to serve the Lord. I did. I, I wanted to be faithful because I understood the gospel, walk in and the kingdom of God, and you realize uh, what he has done. And I'm wanting to respond to that. But after a couple of years, I realized it was a failure, uh, that I'm not exactly uh, the man uh, that I need to be. And, uh, Lord, why do you want me to fight the flesh and the devil in the world? Why is it you just don't take me? Have you ever wondered that if, once you're converted? Why does he not just take you on to heaven? And then one day it dawned on me that just as Jesus Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, took upon himself a human nature, born of a virgin, had to learn obedience as the second Adam. He had to discipline his life. And he had to suffer many things on our behalf so that we might be freed. Now he invites us as well into that suffering. that we are called to holiness. We are, we are called to participate in the battle. It is though Christ has liberated us. He's the captain of our salvation. And now He calls us to join Him to liberate this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, He invites us to enter into His suffering. Paul says that in Colossians 1. You've heard me quote this so many times. One of my favorite verses. Paul said this, I desire to fill up in my body, my flesh, that which is still lacking in the suffering of Christ for the sake of His church. Now, what does he mean by that? Christ has already suffered. What do you mean he, he's wanting to fill up in His body that which is lacking in the suffering of Christ? Well, friends, let me tell you. The Christ's body is in two places. First off, it's in heaven. Those who have already gone to be with Christ. And they're the church triumphant. But down here on this planet, we are the church militant. And Christ still suffers for His people through us and through His people. You understand that? And, and therefore, the more you understand that you're free to fight, you're free to enter in, the more the forces of the devil will be against you. I really believe that. To discourage you. To make you turn back. To go, well, I've gone this far, but no further. Paul in Philippians says this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. You see what he's saying? For me to live is Christ. I'm in. I'm free. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul understood union with Christ and he longed to be with Christ because he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
But if it is a benefit to you, I'll remain. And you know what? It was. And he suffered for Jesus' sake, for the body of Christ. Can I give you an example of that? Uh, I remember one winter day 20 years ago. I was a chaplain at Vanderbilt, a campus minister at RUF at Vanderbilt University. And I was sitting in McDonald's. And it was kind of cold, you know, that damp, cold, gray day that already you're going, man, this is a miserable day. And I'd been there four or five years, and I'd seen God do great things. I'd seen a lot of students come to Jesus Christ. There are people who are in this room right now that came to Christ at Vanderbilt when we were there. In fact, uh, there were 30 guys or so that met uh, every year. Chris was a part of these guys that uh, met every year for, I don't know, what, 15 years afterwards to remind each other of the things they had learned about God's kingdom as businessmen or pharmacists or lawyers or ministers. And so things were, were great on the one hand, but on the other hand, I had uh, a lot of difficulties. Uh, I remember that time I had uh, financial difficulties. Uh, I was trying to, um, you know, eat oatmeal, cornmeal, and miss a meal. Uh, too much uh, month at the end of your money. Y'all, yeah, some of y'all know what that's like, right? And yet I was ministering to students who were millionaires at 18 years old. Uh, I remember, I think it was that same week uh, that I found out that I wasn't sure how I was going to pay my estimated taxes. Uh, we had a babysitter over uh, that week, and... Uh, <clears throat> and she was very gracious. She let us uh, borrow her Mercedes uh, Benz because my Subaru was broken down. So it was fun. You know, I acted like I had a lot of money, you know. And with, uh, so I made sure I drove the car around a lot of different places with my wife. But. And um, I was discouraged. I mean, it's great that God is at work and God is changing these students. But how am I going to pay my bills? And then at that point, I had uh, students who were more interested in Christ than my teenagers. What, 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 Lord, why don't you do something over here because I'm over here ministering here. Let's, let's everybody get along here. And I started seeing, thinking about Psalm 73. And Psalm 73 was written by the rock and roll uh, music leader uh, of Israel, David's good friend named Asaph. And here's what he said, Truly God is good to those who are pure in heart, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It was a day of evil, okay? And I was confused. I was fearful. I was 35 years old, four kids, wanting to turn back, but couldn't turn back. Waiting on the whole house of cards to fall. Everybody find out what a sham you are anyway, right? If you ever teach a Bible study, you'll have that feeling every now and then. But then I remember looking out the window uh, on that gray day. and I, It wasn't a vision, okay? It was, it was, it was an image in my mind. It was, I didn't have a vision. But I, because you'll miss the point. Oh, wow, how do you get visions like that? But I, I remember... As though yesterday. I'm looking out and I'm seeing me in the midst of these clouds and this battle. It's like this battle that's going on. And there's blood and there's guts. And I, and I have no idea which ends up and which ends backwards or forwards. 
But I knew I needed to be in the fight. I believe the gospel. And then all of a sudden, it's like this clearing came. Just a small clearing. And there I saw Jesus Christ on his white stallion. Don't remember his face. Uh, but I remember the image of him looking at me, didn't smile. I can't remember exactly what was going on. But then all of a sudden, uh, the, you know, the clouds came back and he disappeared. But the thing that impressed upon me and I felt like was from God was, hey, listen, you're, you're, you're where you need to be. Because that's where he is. And to, to be near to God, to know God, and to be in his presence, to know what it is to be intimate with him, and to be in the hunt, to be in the battle, is to be in the fight. That's the first thing to say. Now, where are you right now? Maybe the day of evil has come. But my question is this. Are you standing firm in the Lord and the power of his might? Are you resting in his work? Or right now, you're absolutely having panic attacks, fear, your mind's running, it's spinning, and you don't know what to do. Then keep listening. So the second thing to say from our text is this. We're in the fight, but we must also prepare ourselves for a lifetime of battle. Paul says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand firm. It is something that doesn't end. I've discovered that. I've had many, many days like that. I'm a little bit more savvy to them now as a 57-year-old versus a 35-year-old. Probably one of the reasons I've uh, read T- Pilgrim's Progress, uh, I think, I don't know, 15 or 20 times, is because P- Pilgrim's Progress is a, ga- a great picture of, of a pilgrim who's leaving the city of destruction. He's headed for the celestial city, and there's all kind of conflicts, all kind of traps along the way. But God is faithful to him. I'm no longer shocked at those particular days when there seems to be an all-out assault on my mind or my finances or my family or my, or my church. In fact, I've determined not to try to shy away from them. I don't want to hunt them out. I mean, they'll, they'll look for you, right? So don't be going, bring it on, Satan. But you know, you don't want to shy away from that because you see that God's hand is in these things. Say you learn the deep and abiding fellowship with him, but also that he invites you into what he's doing, what, what his plans are. So here's the question. What does it look like to put on the armor, and what does it mean to put on the armor? So what does it mean? Okay, you got this image of putting on a Roman clothes, soldier, and we're not Romans, right? We're not soldiers in the Roman army. But here's basically... Uh, what he's getting at is this. The armor is a new disposition about the world. Okay? All of a sudden you're in the king's army. And you have a new disposition about the world, a new way of looking at the world. And everything that you now see, you see through the filter of God's reign and rule through Jesus Christ in your life. That's all it means. Now do you do that? Or do you just wake up every day and go, well, I hopefully we'll have a good day today and what comes, Kesara, uh, Sarah. Or maybe you're cynical. Or are you seeing everything from a new perspective? I, I'll give you a great example of this. Moses. Remember, Moses was a prince of, prince of Egypt. 
And, and, but in Hebrews chapter 11, we learn about the, these men and women who are, who are entering into the realities of God through faith, not by works, but through faith. And so it uses Moses as an example of somebody who's put on the armor and see things from a different perspective. He says this, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ's greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's what it means. Depending on the whole armor of God, is that now you're not living by works. You're not living by uh, trying to live by biblical principles. You are living by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And everything that you see out there, you see from the bird's eye view of what God is doing. Now somebody asked, why does he use battle imagery? And this is a very important point for I made the last point. So, so, right, so putting on the whole armor is you beginning to see the things from his perspective. Now, again, I have to ask you, what perspective do you look at life? Are, are, you, are you lost in the trees uh, of trying to be a good Christian or, or trying this technique or that technique versus the realities of what God is doing? But the question is, why does he use this uh, uh, imagery of armor? Now, the reason I bring that up, and I'm going to be honest here, is I was reading Tim Keller about this. Tim Keller is a great preacher to, uh, in Manhattan, one of the best preachers to the secular mind I've ever heard. And he asked this question because he's speaking to a bunch of New Yorkers in Manhattan. And this is what he says about why Paul uses the imagery of uh, warfare and the imagery of, of being a soldier. He says this, because most of us don't have that view of our service to Christ. We have what he calls the employer-employee view of God. And so it goes like this, he says, that if you're an employee, you're still somewhat, you're getting paid. And as long as you want to work there, the supervisor, as long as you can put up with what he's asking you to do, that's fine. But at any point... You decide that you don't want to be there, you leave and you depart. And so he says a lot of us kind of treat God that way, not, not in terms of military terms of obedience, but in terms of, uh, well, you know, I, I like this, but I don't like that. I'll obey this, but I'm not going to obey that. Now let me tell you how he applied that. He said, here's how some of you in Manhattan, and I'm sure here at Redeemer right now, some of you to go, well, you, you have no idea how hard my life is. And therefore, I have a right to not submit to that. I mean, you don't know what it's like to be single. You don't know what it's like to be lonely. And therefore, if I want relationships with people outside the context of the church that aren't healthy for me, you know what? At least I should have that privilege. And what Tim Keller would say, I think what the Bible says, is you know what you're doing? Is you're treating God like an employer. And when you decide that you don't like something, you just don't do it. And I'm here to tell you that that's the massive amounts of us in the church. 
versus obedience. He says that we need to cross the line from an agreement with God to His mastery of us. You know how soldiers can't say, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. Kind of got a toothache, you don't call in sick. Because you know what, everybody else is tied up to you. And therefore, not to do what the commanding officer says is treason because it is betrayal to all those who are around you. And so the reason Paul uses this imagery is for us to understand that the Christian life is a life of obedience. It is a life of service. You understand? If you military guys and gals, you would understand that, right? A Christian is someone who says, I am under orders. Now, before I come to my last point, let me ask you this. You think about this for a moment. If it were left up to you and the life that you live, would Christianity last the next, would it go to the next generation? Or would it end? Would it stop? You see, if it, if it, if it does, <clears throat> then you, you have an agreement with God but you're not obeying him as your master. And then here's the last thing to say, and we're going to come back to this more uh, next week. We're to fight. We must prepare ourselves for a lifetime of fighting and, and uh, seeing things from God's perspective. But the foundation of our weapons of war is the belt of truth. And I just want to spend a moment on this because I want to come back to it. Paul says in verse... 14, that we are to stand having fastened on the belt of truth. There are a lot, there, there, there's a lots of pieces of equipment here, both defensive and offensive, but not this. You, you, you think, oh, well, let's go to war, let me put on my belt. But Paul says this is the most important one. Because the belt is wrapped around the centerpiece. And to understand what he's saying here is that back then they had robes. And when they were ready to fight, they girded up their loins and tucked them in their belt. And it made them ready for action. Ready to go. Paul makes a a distinguishment here between the belt of truth... And the word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit later. And I'll explain more about that later next week. But here's what he is saying here. Is that a Christian is someone who's always girded, ready for action. Put it another way. The word of God is what you're to tuck in. How will you stand? If you don't know the Bible, if you're not constantly going, uh, saturating yourself in the scriptures. One commentator said it's called the girdle because it's around the most intimate parts of our body. And what he's saying is this, that the essence of a Christian is not knowing Bible knowledge. Some of the most goofed up people I know are people that know the Bible. They know the bits and pieces of the Bible. 
but it's not part of them. Now let me give you uh, one passage of scripture before we close about this. John chapter 8. Jesus is confronting Bible-believing people. He's confronting the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. And there's the people who searched the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures. And they were living by biblical principles. And again, might I suggest to you that many of you have tried to live the Christian life by going to some seminars, uh, learning biblical principles. You've sat under this man. Or you've gone to the... uh, uh, that thing they had several years back, and I'm not against it, but uh, the promise keepers, right? Seven promises of a promise keeper. You know, the guys used to get in the stand and, uh, you know, the football and, and cheer each other out. And I'm not against that, but the problem with the seven promises of a promise keeper, you're going to break all of them anyway. But Jesus Christ didn't. But so Jesus is confronting these people who knew the Bible, and he says this. If my word abides in you and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. How have we ever been enslaved to anyone? How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. If I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. Do you see what he's saying? It's not in you. The essence of wearing the belt of truth is the objective realities becoming subjective realities in your own life. And I'll tell you this, if you don't know Christ in that intimate way, let me tell you, when the day of evil comes, you will be shattered. Versus abiding in the knowledge that He has set you free. Are you in the fight? Are you aware of those things that are around you? Then my encouragement to you as a believer in Jesus Christ is to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Rest in His finished work on your behalf. Think about his promises. Think about you have to think it through. That's the essence of what it means to serve him, to follow him, to know him, to gird your loins, is to think these things through. But if you don't have it there, ladies and gentlemen, you can't do it. You'll live in panic and you'll be freaking out, and there'll be no joy and there'll be no liberty. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we uh, <clears throat> thank you for your word. We thank you that while we were hopeless and without power, Christ came and has delivered us from sin. And so, Lord, make us well aware that you're raised from the dead, that indeed you are over all our enemies and your enemies. You're conquering, you're dividing on our behalf. And so, Lord, we pray, though, that as you have finished the work for us, that we might actively participate by putting on the whole armor of God so that in that day we may be able to stand. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.